Have you heard of those hotels where you can stay and pay absolutely nothing? I'm talking about the ones where you can park your preferred mode of transport and get it serviced while you eat and catch up on sleep. And you can do this for up to three days completely free of charge. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you think it sounds too good to be true, you'd be right because this offer actually expired around 100 years ago. Throughout the Muslim world, and particularly in the Ottoman Empire, caravan sarais and hans would open their doors to travellers to stay, rest, eat and sleep for up to three days free of charge. And although few, if any, operate anymore, here in Sarajevo, in Bosnia, you can still experience what life might have been like in the heart of the city's old town, Bostarsia. In fact, all over Bosnia, there's beautiful Ottoman architecture that's been really well looked after and is actually still used by travellers and the local community today. And what's particularly impressive about Sarajevo is that it continues to be a centre of Islamic learning, with schools such as the Ghazi Hudrab Bey Madrasa educating future leaders since 1537. Today, I'm joined by a graduate of this very madrasa, local travel expert Selma Fischekovic. Selma is going to share stories about how Bosnia played a crucial role in the Ottoman Empire, including stories behind the beautiful mosques, madrasas and hans dotted all over the country. She's also going to be giving us a personal insight into what it was like living through the war in the 90s, along with some of the really important stories and lessons that we can learn from it today. Let's go. Assalamu alaikum, Salma. It's so great to have you here with me today. Alaikum salam, Smeya. The pleasure is mine. I wish I could see you in person and that we do this podcast, you know, in different uh, occasions. But alhamdulillah, it's always good to hear you. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. And me too. I mean, I can't wait, inshallah, to be able to come back to Bosnia and to be able to sit in the Bashtarsh here with you. Inshallah. Inshallah. So Salma, you've been a local guide for many, many years now. And you've taken a lot of people around Sarajevo, including some of our own groups for Halal Travel Guide. When you take your guests through the city on a walking tour, what is one of the things that strikes you? What do you notice people are most surprised about or most curious about when exploring Sarajevo? As you have said, for many years, I do the tourist uh, guide tours because I'm certified uh, tourist guide for Sarajevo Canton. Uh, well, you know, uh, I could mention more things because not all people like the same things. Uh, some are really, you know, um, captured by the beauty of Sarajevo with the river and greenery around it, but mainly, mainly, uh, what I have noticed is like uh, when they come to Sarajevo and start the tour of the old town, uh, they are, you know, so excited and delighted to be the part of diversity. You know, they see the coexistence of all four religions, you know, at one place, mm. like literally in 500 meters, you can uh, visit church, uh, Catholic church, Orthodox church, synagogue and mosque, you know, at the same time and see it like, you know, in five, ten minutes, you can see them at one place. So uh, what we say proudly is that Sarajevo is European Jerusalem. I don't know, to be honest, how many places on earth have this, you know, unique uh, diversity 
place that you can see. So uh, I think for them, it's always, you know, they, are, they say, you know, it's beautiful to feel to be uh, one, to feel that we are all one, you know, to be a part mm. of coexistence at one place. So that's the thing that I have noticed the most that they like. And there is one place also, uh, it's uh, it's even a sign, you know, on the floor, written on the floor. It's called a Sarajevo meeting of cultures. You know, usually we say when we have a beginning of something and then, you know, ending at the beginning of something else, it's like border, you know. But, you know, we call it meeting of cultures because that's how we are used to. I mean, me, myself as a Muslim practicing Muslim, I couldn't imagine my city without churches, without synagogue, with other people, religions, nationalities, you know, with, uh, without all this diversity, then it wouldn't be Sarajevo anymore. So people really, really feel it, you know, and they like to be part of it and see it. So there is this place and you you stand on that spot. When you look to the east, you see a Gazi Husserbeis mosque, you see old Ottoman clock tower, you see all like Ottoman style shops. And then you see east and literally you just turn your body you know to the west and then you see austro-hungarian style uh buildings and uh, catholic church and this so that's the place that we call sarajevo meeting of cultures and uh, you know uh, as i said for this diversity and uh, sarajevo being european jerusalem we have here a saying that says i will try you know to translate it so that it sounds uh, understandable in english too like in bosnia the church bell never disturbed the Muezzin's voice so it's it's like part of our growing up and living that at the same time for many times you know during the day we can hear you know at the same time adhan call for prayer for muslims and church bells either you know from catholic or orthodox church so i think that's the something you know that really captures them and strikes them the most um generally they like the because they see something different you know it's in europe it's not like when you go to turkey of course you expect all this you know eastern uh, feeling and spirit and this but when they come because bosnia is uh, geographically part and historically part of europe they see it you know this uh, ottoman heritage they see the east and west blended so they really tourists mainly like the old town but uh, for those who like like history they're also you know they often ask to see the place you know from where the trigger for the first world war you know where every, where everything was triggered mm. and and uh, happened and also when i tell them that sarimo hosted uh, winter olympic games 1984 and at that time sarimo was part of yugoslavia uh, it was the first time that one communist country in history gets the organization of Olympic Winter Games and it was like, you know, epic. And even now, you know, people still remember it. So there are many, many things. Sarajevo is a small city uh, with small population, but, you know, they, they cannot believe that in such small place they can see and feel so many different things, you know. And I see really that every time they say, you know, it was worth coming. Maybe some of them had prejudges before or something, but really at the end, they always say it was worth coming and that definitely they will come back again. And as I saw, you know, even with your groups, that some people were coming back, you know, again, although they saw it, everything the year before they come, because they like the spirit, the easiness, the way of life, how it's going, you know, having the coffees, you know, time for rest, time for work, like balance. And that's really interesting mm. that you touched on, which is that people love to come back because it's true since the first time I came, I think it was 2017 now, 
there is always something that pulls me back to visiting Bosnia, to visiting Sarajevo. And it is so unique, like you said, because here in Europe, you have so much of a feeling of Islam, of the Ottoman Empire, of pretty much East and then West as well. But it, there's no contrast. It doesn't feel like they're in conflict. It feels like they're all in harmony. And is this linked with the Ottoman Empire and how uh, the Ottoman Empire... Because, for example, in Istanbul, I know that during the Ottoman Empire there was similar climate in which Jews, Christians, Muslims were able to live together really, really nicely. And is that something that you can link back to the Ottoman Empire as well in Sarajevo or is the history a little bit different? No, it's it's linked, of course, to the Ottoman Empire because Sarajevo as a city started to develop, you know, uh, and it was on peak of development in its uh, 16th century. And that was the time when Ottoman Empire was here. You know, so it is definitely linked with the Ottoman Empire. And as you said, you know, even from that time, we have like a synagogue that that's in the old town that dates from the Ottoman Empire, you know, even the old Orthodox Church, you know, so it is definitely. And the place that I mentioned, you know, uh, that, uh, where you can see where the trigger for the First World War was, you know, when everything was started was called uh, Latin look, you know, Latins means like that was a area, neighborhood where Christians lived. And even now we call the bridge Latin bridge, you know, oh, yeah. so yeah. it definitely, yeah, it goes back to the Ottoman heritage and uh, Ottoman time. And just on, on, on the Ottoman heritage, because the Bashtarshia, which is the old town of Sarajevo, it's such a unique feeling in the Bashtarshia because it feels like you've taken a step back in time because the shops and the restaurants and the cafes, everything has been made to fit within the traditional Ottoman architecture that was already there. So it's not the other way around where normally you have to get rid of the old to make way for the new. It's been harmoniously incorporated. So you can have a kahva in an old Ottoman Han, which traditionally would have been yeah. a place where the travelers stay and they rest and they put their horses and they stay for free for three days and before they move on to their next stop. So it's really unique. I don't think I've eaten in a Han in Istanbul, to be honest. So Sarajevo yeah. in particular is is really unique in that, in that there is this living history that is it's it's alive here in Europe. So I know that you studied at the Ghazi Huzrev Bey Madrasa, which is part of the Basharshia complex. Yes. Can you share a little bit about the importance of this madrasa and what your experience was like studying here? So uh, I know in Arabic culture, I'm not sure about the other cultures when you say madrasa. In Arabic, you know, it's madrasa is school, basically school. But in Bosnia, when you say uh, madrasa, we pronounce it madrasa is uh, we know exactly that it, that is a high school that takes four years and in that high school you will study religious subjects you know such as Qur'an, Arabic language, uh, Hadith, Tafsir, you know, Ahlaq, Aqidah and uh, other religious you know uh, things and subjects plus the other subjects. So, you know, saying, you know, you studied Ghazi Husserbe in Madrasa, you know, it, you know, left you to say that with full mouth and proudly, you know, to say, it. because uh, Ghazi Husserbe, uh, he's actually the one who made Sarajevo to be in golden era. You know, we could all learn from this figure, you know, 
uh, may Allah have mercy on him, inshallah. Mm -hmm. So because uh, he was he was uh, from mother's side, uh, he was connected to the uh, Sultan Bayezid II. His mother was daughter of Sultan Bayezid II, and his father roots were from Bosnia. You know, so he has this mix. But uh, he was very very rich. You know, but he didn't think just how to pile, you know, all his wealth for himself or, you know, for relatives or this. He really thought as a visionary how to contribute to the society, the community. So everything he had, he endowed, you know, even in his mausoleum, you know, his mausoleum is a part of complex of Ghazi Husserbe's mosque and Ghazi Husserbe's yard. Uh, he said uh, it's written, endowment is one of the pets that brings you closer to God. You know, so he endowed uh, the Gazi Wooster Base mosque, the soup kitchen, the Gazi Wooster Base, there's Gazi Wooster Base library, uh, madrasa. But why I say he was, uh, you know, and um, many of the, his uh, endowments, unfortunately, during the communism were confiscated. You know, they were not, mm. it wasn't possible to use it for the <clears throat> cause that they were endowed. But uh, now, you know, after the war, some of them are given back. To Islamic community and to the Waqf institution. So, uh, all of these Waqfs are self sustainable. So, just as a reminder, like Madrasa exists from 1573, that's now 484 years. No, and still it's self sustainable, you know, and all the Waqfs. And what's interesting, like every day, like literally each day, there is one Khatma, like the students of the Faculty of Islamic Sciences or uh, pupils from the Gaz Husser Madrasa, uh, 30 of them recite, each of them, one juz a day, and they, you know, uh, give intention that Thawab go to him, you know, to Gaz Husser base. So literally every day he gets these Thawabs, you know. And there was a saying, like, I'm, historically, I'm not sure, is it confirmed that he didn't have kids? But subhanAllah, can you imagine, like for 400 years, you know, he has uh, kids that recite Quran for him. But mm -hmm. why? Because of his intention and what he has left and what he has endowed. And even at that time, you know, like 400 years ago, there were many madrasas, you know, in all over the Bosnia. But during the communism time, you know, in Bosnia, uh, only one stayed uh, to, to work. Like we have madrasa now working in Travnik, in Tuzla, in Mostar some that are now open in Sazin uh, and other places, but the only madrasa that stayed working without stopping, you know, continuously, mm. was Ghazi Husser-based madrasa. I think, you know, it would be maybe at that time they thought it would be too much if they close it too, you know, it will cause maybe some riots, or I don't know what, but it, it is working constantly, like for 484 years till now. And what he said in the document when he wanted to endow, he said that, like, uh, of course, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, that the subjects, you know, that will be teached are religious subjects, you know, that bring you closer to God. You know, but also everything that that time and the place that madrasa will be, you know, in requires. So now we have, you know, students teaching, you know, of course, uh, IT, you know, uh, English language, math, biology, geography, history. So we have many, many former students who finished, you know, uh, medicine that are now professors of mathematics that are now like that were before like uh, ministers, even of foreign affairs. They are in all course of society, 
but with strong bond to their identity, mm. national and religious identity. So, you know, uh, being a part of this uh, history, to me, honest, I feel blessed, you know, and I feel honored. Uh, at that time, <laughs> it was really, really hard. It wasn't easy to finish because I'm like old school type that when I went, still, uh, we went six days a week in high school because we had a lot of these subjects. Now they rearrange it, you know, that it's um, better distributed and that kids have more time, you know, also for rest. But at that time, we went literally six days a week in high school wow. and finished it. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it left us, it's not only the knowledge uh, foundation that you have, it's really, really connecting you, giving you a strong uh, feeling, you know, of proud, of uh, being aware of yourself, of your identity, because that was something for years, you know, people tried, different factions tried, you know, to to remove, you know, in, in books, uh, through books, through education, but uh, it's this institution, it's it's very important, and not only now Gas Husserbis Madrasa, but other madrasas too, but being part of it, it's, for me personally, it brings me, you know, uh, feelings of, um, to be to be proud really to be proud and honored to be part of this uh, endowment and to pass this as one of the students that he endowed for uh, his high school his madrasa mashallah that's but what's what's what what um, i forgot to mention it's you know it's like the school that really i mean maybe it's the each school but here really you profile you know yourself and there are many as i said the difficult times and learning and all this it's really the friends you get like friendships they are for a lifetime you know my best like maid of honor and like my best friends are still from high school from the time of high school regardless i finished you know university and you know uh got married have you know different range of families but really my still my one of my best friends are still from the time of uh, high school that's really interesting because I think what you've touched on that's powerful is it's a holistic place for you to grow and learn and develop as a person and not just tick off knowing math, science, history, but for you to acquire the skills that you need to become a fully formed, a very well-rounded individual who is very connected to her sense of self and a sense of identity. And I think Growing up in the UK, we don't necessarily have the same experience. Of course, we have a, a good education system, but it's maybe not as kind of hot, doesn't take necessarily a whole look around the the individual. But what I think is fascinating about Ghazi Husserl Bey is his ability to look ahead and note that including that clause to say, okay, they should learn X, Y, Z, but also anything that's relevant at the time that they are living in and that is useful, really shows that he understood the need to be flexible and to enable the space for people to grow and develop and adapt to their society. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's you know, also, uh, we all say about uh, European, you know, uh, Muslims. So this school is really, really like preparing you and showing you practically, you know, it teaches you how to behave and how to, to be a part, you know, for integration, but without losing your identity. Mm. You know, so mm. it really prepares you even for the future, for the life, for the interaction with other people and so on. So yeah, Alhamdulillah, it was it was um 
beautiful, beautiful experience for me, and I believe for all the foreign uh, students. Actually. Uh, on that, I'm thinking maybe someone might be thinking if they can come and study. Is it possible for international students to come and study in the high school or to do like courses there? Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't know this. <laughs> I don't want to say any information. Uh, I remember one girl at my time, she was from Poland, but her, I, uh, she was studying in Madrasa. But I think it would be a bit difficult, maybe because of the language barrier, because okay. all the classes are done in Bosnian language. Mm. But maybe there is a such possibility, you know, Gazi Husserbi Madrasa, anyone can Google and check and see, send inquiry and see, because a lot of things changed <laughs> from the time when I studied. So maybe Fair also enough. they give this opportunity and the option too. And just for anyone who is planning a trip to Sarajevo and you're curious to find out more about Ghazi Hosra Bey Madrasa, you'll find his mosque pretty much in the center of Bashtarshia, I think. Yeah. But it's connected yes. to a lot of things. So um, there is the Han. Is Mori Chahan, am I right in understanding that that is also yeah. part of his waqf, right? Yes, yes, yes. He's in Doman. Yes. Yeah, so uh, kind of, is it opposite the mosque? Sort of, sort it's, of parallel. It's opposite maybe like 100 meters, you know. Yeah. So east, east, yeah, it's it's there. Everything is in walking distance, like literally minute right. or two. It's uh, Morichahan is it's like a, like a restaurant cafe now, and you may not yes. notice it if you're walking past because it's sort of tucked in, and you have to go through like a short alleyway, and then you're entered into an open air courtyard, and then yeah. you can either eat inside or outside. And what's beautiful about it is, it, it's all the traditional Ottoman architecture is kept the same. So the stables where the horses would have been kept are used now to have, I think there are some people selling like rugs and different types of things. Yeah, but yeah. what's interesting... Uh, uh, one part is used, as you said, like for souvenirs, for yes. rugs. And the other is, uh, the other two is one is a restaurant, the other is a coffee shop. And then on top of it, you have before that were rooms for travelers. Now there are like offices for, you know, different purposes, depends who rents them. Is it a lawyer? Is it uh, some consultations? You no know, office, uh, some societies and this. So it's still pretty much, you know, uh, used. And mm. as I said, that was a vision. And, you know, that place is self-sustainable. You know, uh, incomes from rents go to the... Uh, you know, of institution to the Islamic community. And of course, all of the people who rent, they have to do business according to Sharia. You know, they cannot yeah. sell alcohol, for example, or do some things that are, you know, in conflict with Islamic values. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is really, that is actually my favorite place, you know, when I'm in Charsha to have coffee, to sit, to relax, you know. Me just, too. To, to uh, me too. <laughs> it, it's really unique because it's such a beautiful place. And as I said, I highly recommend if you're planning a trip to Sarajevo, go to Mori Chahan because it's such a beautiful cafe, but no alcohol is served. Everything has to be halal. And that's not something that you find that frequently. So you can go there and fully relax knowing that you're in an environment that is comfortable and just just enjoy the experience yeah and safe and safe regardless you're muslim or not muslim you know because uh, there are many like uh, i am practicing i'm wearing hijab but uh, there are many other muslims you know who are muslims but you cannot see you know for example on girl that 
because she's not wearing headscarf for this. So I'm saying, you know, like even the tourists with uh, different backgrounds and different way of looking or this, like no one will notice it or see or cause any, you know, uh, problems or yeah. I don't know yeah. whatsoever. So it's literally like everyone is welcome. That's a beautiful. And you've touched on a little bit, a little bit on the war. Um, and Sarajevo, it, it underwent the longest siege, I think, in modern history. It, yes, it was yes. really, really brutal. And even today on the walking tour, when you take people around, there are so many places that still show the reminders of the war. And it, it wasn't that long ago. It was about, I think, 25 years ago now. Yeah, a bit, a bit more. Yeah, we're starting 1992. Yeah, so as you said, it's the longest uh, siege in uh, modern uh, history. It took like 1,425 days, you know. So I was a kid when war started. I was seven years old. And uh, looking at now from this perspective, when I'm a mother, I really, because obviously it was my destiny to live <laughs> through the war, I'm happy that I was a kid, you know, that I wasn't a mother at that time. Because, you know, now I cannot imagine, you know, how my mother felt, you know, having two kids, you know, in, in these circumstances where literally uh, average day uh, of bomb that were, you know, uh, exploded in Sarajevo was 329. We know all this information. A day? United... Yeah, a day. That was average, a day. Oh, wow. Because we had United Nations troops who were counting, you know, counting how many missile, missiles were, you know, uh in Sarajevo exploded and this the worst day was uh, 22nd of July 1993 where in one day uh, 3777 shells you know Sarajevo was bombed with uh, 3777 bombs at that day so it was I remember it as a kid of course you know first you start to you are afraid it's something new literally like you live in basement you know because the houses were targets also civilian objects i lost a lot of my uh, family members you know neighbors so you we as a kid we are aware you know what is this it's mm. true danger you know you cannot go out like that you know and uh, play because we have a monument in the center of sarajevo that's dedicated to all the children who were killed during the war and it's like um 1600 you know children that were literally we have places of massacres where kids were playing in snow or somewhere going to water and the bomb would explode and kill them targeting only children and kids so it was um looking at it of course it was the horrific experience but uh me as a kid i wasn't fully aware of it you know because you are a kid you don't understand things as adults do so that's i can say really i'm thankful to god you know if i had to survive it that i survived it as a kid you know, not being full aware mm. of all the dangers and, uh, you know, but I could understand the pain. I could feel the fear, you know, uh, I can find out connection, you know, with these COVID-19 measures, you know, and uh, with my kids not being able to go to school, you know, and at the beginning, first lockdown, when it started, they felt very bored, you know, crying, cringing, say, oh, we want to go out and this. So me and my husband, we would explain to them how was it for us, you know, we were literally stuck in basements. 
you know, you don't have water, you don't have electricity, you don't have heating, like you're freezing, you know, you go to park to collect branches or at the mountain, you know, where you can, where it's able, and you go and stand for water and wait, and we tell them, you know, you should, you know, you, you must enjoy, because you have everything, you have internet, you have television, you have plenty of food. You know, mm. there is a joke we called our childhood like powdered childhood because what we got in humanitarian aid was eggs in powder. You know, like years after I would see real egg oh, wow. or real milk because we had it, you know, powdered milk and uh, all these days. So I remember really, really like the winters were really harsh at that time. It wasn't still like maybe global warming wasn't on that peak you know as it's now it was really really cold you know and freezing and like you don't have gas you don't have you had to even sometimes people would use shoes or something just to heat a bit you know to prepare a lunch so uh, maybe it's a message to everyone we are passing yeah through this pandemic mm. the whole world is but for sure there are people now who suffer more than us you know like in these conflict areas that we see you know syria yemen uh palestine and other places there is always someone who feels it you know much worse and for them pandemic is piece of cake mm. you know because still at the end you have everything that's necessary you know from us is to wear our masks to respect measures and inshallah it will come to end you know as everything comes to end this will come to end but uh, to be a kid to survive this siege you know it definitely strengthened me um i think alhamdulillah i didn't left uh, that many consequences because uh we always try you know to to see things positive to look positive you know to learn something you know to to learn something and it's something you know of course the part of war it's always a must saying you know during the tourist uh, tours when we have so you know that also with halal travel guide groups we visit tunnel of hope mm. so you have seen it it's it's very narrow and the ceiling is very low and Bosnia's, mashallah, they are average <laughs> tall, not, not as big. So, but still, even that, you know, 800 meters, we didn't call it hole or some bad word. We call it tunnel of light, tunnel of hope, tunnel of salvation, you know, because that was our, like, only way to get food in or uh, medicine or other means to defend ourselves, our lives, you know. So it's even at that time, you know, uh, we looked positive because that's the only mm. way that we can move on and go, you know, forward. It's uh, even during the war, you know, we had like humoristic shows and something like this just to lift you up. You know, even the famous Sarajevo Film Festival started during the war and uh, one festival, Sarajevo Winter. So we just didn't want to, you know, say uh, that's it end of the world and we cannot do anything about it we are just going to also uh, our spirits we are going to surrender it and so on you know and even i mean uh there there is one song from you too you know uh, miss sarah you know that it shows you know the other people who had other values but still they cherish it you know they didn't want to stop it you know so they wanted to show the beauty in all this chaos actually i wanted so, to 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 hone in on that a bit because so for our audience who may not be familiar um, with the history of, of Sarajevo that much, the Tunnel of Hope uh, basically was the only way that the civilians, 
because the civilians were living under siege for many, many years. And if you think of Sarajevo, it's in a valley and then it's surrounded by mountains and then you'd have snipers on the mountains. So anytime someone would try to come out of their homes to get supplies, like Selma mentioned, like water, uh, firewood, they it was super easy for a sniper to come in and just get their shot. Because at one, when you go up into the mountains, there's a cable car that takes you there. You see how much of a bird's eye view you have of Sarajevo especially the city centre. So the Tunnel of Hope um, was the only way for supplies to come in and out of Sarajevo. So it was basically an 800 metre tunnel, like Selma said, and people would bring in uh, weapons through the tunnel. They would bring in medical supplies. They would take out injured people, but they'd also bring in like goats and anything that they could bring in just to help keep the city going because it was a really long siege and you need to find a way to bring in supplies. And when we hear about the war in Bosnia quite a lot, and for anyone who wants to learn a bit more, there are many books you can read. You can also go on our Instagram. We have some IGTV videos that you can check out to get more of an insight. But we often focus on the hardship of the war and, and how unfair it was that the Bosnians didn't have an army. They had very little international support and they were, you know, clearly the victims of the war. But we don't hear that much about the stories of the powerful resilience and the perseverance. And this is what I love about the Tunnel of Hope, because it tells a little bit of a different story, which is not the the kind of the pitiful side, but it's the powerful side of how resourceful you were and how you, you like you said, you kept this positive outlook to enable you to go on so that you were able against all odds to come out and succeed because on paper, really and truly, Bosnia should not have won that war. So what is it, do you think, about uh, the, the Bosnian people or where can we find the source of this resilience? And is there like maybe a story that you can just share with us today just to demonstrate what I'm trying to describe for our listeners? We're going to pause this conversation here and pick up where we left off in the next episode. I'd love for you to join the conversation by sharing your thoughts with me over on halaltravelguide.net, where you can leave a comment on the blog post for this episode, Being Muslim in Bosnia. This is Sumaya, and you've been listening to A Better Way to Travel, the new podcast from Halal Travel Guide.